0: Hello, and welcome to Major Revisions, Episode 74. Our lineup for this episode features myself, Jeff, and then John, as always, and um, a discussion guest co-host, Dr. Tess Kranger, I'm currently at the University of British Columbia. Tess is the lead author of an excellent and timely recent paper called An Empiricist Guide to Using Ecological Theory that elegantly describes ways that theory and empiricism interact in our field and offers a toolkit aimed at empiricists for better understanding theory and using it to inform their work. These are themes that are you know, really interesting to us and we've touched on them in earlier episodes. So we're very excited to welcome Tess to the show. Tess, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Great,
1: thanks Thanks so much for having me.
0: So this, um, yeah, when this, I, I think I first saw this paper come across the, the Twitter, which is pretty much where I get about 98% of my information about everything in the world. But it was definitely one that i think i immediately sent john and i was like this is one we have to figure out how to discuss um kind of in this show yeah it's
1: it's definitely gotten a lot of attention on twitter more than most of my like actual scientific papers um a lot of positive feedback so um that's been really kind of interesting to observe and nice to nice to see people have really been enjoying it
2: yeah, de- definitely we have. Um, so I thought maybe one way we could start to kick this off um, is just to talk a little bit about our own um, trajectories of engaging with theory and how it impacts our work. Um, Tess, do you want to start?
1: Sure. Um, probably my first kind of my beginning of my engagement with theory was um, in my PhD, um, both myself and the senior author Rachel Germain on the paper. Um, we were in the same PhD lab and um, we had an advisor who was very much theory heavy <laughs> and would tended to talk in kind of like mathematical language and we were both much more empirically minded and so we had that kind of experience of, of wanting to understand but not quite understanding everything that was going on in terms of the complex mathematics and then um But it definitely influenced both of us um, in terms of trying we're really wanting to incorporate that theory and being open to basing our empirical research on it. And so we both tried to do that over the years in our research, but um, I think kind of what motivated this paper was that feeling of imposter syndrome where we, we kind of grasp what's going on with the theory, but not completely um and so we wanted something that we would have liked to have had in early grad school to kind of help understand that theory in a more complete way Um, and i've over the years written a few papers that have been kind of aimed at specific topics within ecology um, connecting empirical research with theory and so i kind of like I, I seem to keep doing that because it interests me a lot um, <laughs> with like meta community ecology, and then coexistence theory. Um, and so I really, I think that's, and I'm doing another one now, uh, working with a group on metabolic theory. So that's something I've always been interested in.
0: Oh man, theory I was, is, what has uh, always been appealing to me, but it's been something that I think, you know, like you said, it's just incredibly daunting. In fact, actually I know i turned to John, you know, John and I were in the same PhD program and many times over the years, I had to have john translate the archaic language of math to me into something that makes sense to my brain so to say that i have a background in this would be quite the deception to the world <laughs> so, john what about you yeah
2: so um i i definitely am someone who kind of works um kind of across that uh theory empiricism interface as well i think maybe from a, a different perspective. So I think similar to tests, a lot of my work is grounded in empirical observation, um, but I find myself most often, often not necessarily trying to test theory, but trying to use theoretical models to better understand mechanisms. A lot of the things that I'm interested in happen over large spatial and long temporal scales that are difficult to observe and, and manipulate um, and so sometimes the the data is um, not really amenable to a purely empirical view at mechanisms and then also to you know kind of try and understand generality you know is this thing that I'm observing in this particular system um, pretty context dependent or is this uh, one iteration of something that maybe is um, quite more general uh, and and maybe we uh, don't fully grasp how general it is yet yeah totally but I also em- empathize with uh, imposter syndrome because <laughs> uh, compared to a lot of people I'm really not a good mathematician um, so it's definitely some a, a part of uh, the sort of practice of being a, a theoretician um, where I struggle a little bit and um, where a lot of other people uh, have uh, you know, deeper and, and better developed
0: skills than I do. Oh my gosh, having read papers from both of you guys, I would say you're both definitely underestimating and underselling yourselves right now. And you neither one of you should um, suffer from this for sure. I do have a question. And I think this is, comes up to the first thing I wanna ask on the paper. Um, the definition of ecological theory that you present in here I'm curious, because I have a feeling this was something that was maybe debated a lot in the process of writing. So I'm kind of curious how you came to that definition that, you know, what you, was you, the did, definition? Yeah, so <laughs> Can you read that? How out? do you not know exactly what is online? <laughs> well, no. we did debate it. Yeah, OK, good. Exactly. That's what, um Yeah. So define ecological theory broadly as an explanation of an ecological phenomenon.
1: Actually, no, I don't think we actually debated that that wording that much that just i just wrote that and i think that that's that flew but the different aspects that we debated so there's a lot of there's a range on of authors on the paper from like more hardcore theory to like Mm -hmm. very empirical which is what we wanted but and so different people have different opinions about a lot of different parts of the paper but um parts of the kind of definition that we debated were um how much we wanted to like intertwine math and theory and we didn't want to say that those were necessarily the exact same thing uh, i'm going to pull up the paper so i can see what because there's a whole like kind of paragraph that we went back and forth on um I
0: promise on, i'm not going to do gotcha moments of pulling from
1: <laughs> those kind of I'm like oh yes <laughs> what was in the paper
0: <laughs> i was rereading this this morning i was like oh yeah i like that but i bet i wonder if there was a lot of conversation on that
1: uh the explanation just is just simply as an explanation Uh, That was like as broad almost as you could get like uh or like vague (laughs) it's
0: (laughs) not scary to the non yeah exactly
1: yeah Yeah. um and we wanted to have a definition like that that part of the definition that didn't necessarily say it had to be mathematical and then i think the next line is it's often mathematical but not always Mm -hmm. and that part we went kind of back and forth on um yeah have the paper somewhere, I swear. <laughs> Here we go. Um, yeah, there, so it there was kind of interesting to me which parts were like more or less contentious about kind of the paper and um, not necessarily that part, but it was interesting to see within the authors kind of a divide between more senior people and more junior people oh. in terms of like what should be emphasized, because I think the more senior people have understood this stuff especially the more theoretically minded people but all of the senior people on the paper like understand theory uh more than me i would say and so they were further away from the target audience that we were trying to reach which is people who have feel really intimidated by it so they didn't necessarily see um eye to eye on everything which was interesting um in like writing it and then trying to get it published where your reviewers are not going to be Early grad students that you're targeting with the paper. So that was interesting. And that was kind of like we went through an interesting process with AMNAT, um, where the uh, editor in chief, Dan Bulnick, sent it to his early students because he like kind of realized that he wasn't the target audience. (laughs) He was like, it was, you know, at first he was like, it was, I liked it. And then he came around to like really seeing the value when, when he heard from the early career people oh yeah so we have this thing about also about narratives um which kind of comes from this um writing that sally otto one of the authors has done about like the role of narrative um, in theory um so that was kind of inspired by that Um, and then the next part is like defining what mathematical models are and how
0: it relates to theory yeah okay so i have a question for for you both i'm curious on this so I, i I've been working on a review paper that finally got submitted yesterday and a lot of it was about um you know roots of specifically one aspect of structure and its kind of origins and you know historical ecology and so you know i ended up reading a lot of turn of the century last century stuff well oh, century before last now i forget we're in 2022 but thinking about like the historical roots of ecology so the historical roots of ecology is from my understanding, is a lot coming from like natural history and botany, which is a lot of narratives, right, and just pure observation. So I guess like, where do you think the origin of theory comes from in ecology? Great question, <laughs> John. <laughs> John, would you like to take this one? Like, I, I mean, okay. So, like to paraphrase, like you can clearly see, like, um, well, like, The thing I think that's interesting about ecology. As opposed to something like you know, like forestry, which I work in a lot now, is that like ecology, ecology, and ecological theory seem to develop more. Um, it didn't develop you know mathematically really and numerically until mid-century really, like mid 1900s. Yeah, like,
1: yeah, like 60s.
0: Right, and then but you see like roots of um, you know of a more grounding and, and I guess statistics or numbers and math for something like forestry hundreds of years earlier. And one can make the argument that that's through forestry is something because there's economic pressure for that, but there's not economic pressure to quantify community ecology more quickly. So that root of ecological theory, like I'm just kind of curious, like that origin and the integration, you know, thoughts on that. Yeah, so, you know,
2: I I mean, I'm not a super great uh, historian of our field, but, um, you know, I kind of have gotten the sense that we have Kind of, um, you know, borrowed a lot of mathematical ideas that have been developed in other fields and then applied them, um, adapted them to ecology, um, and you know. So these are you know things like economics, you know, physics, um, chemistry, uh, which. You know related to physics um and so i think um i think that that um might explain you know kind of like how this is a little bit of how the the history of the field has developed um and i think you know i i feel as though a lot of it has been done to try and um you know knit together narratives about um how things work and um and discover generality that you know kind of pulls together the roots of our field in natural history and observation
1: yeah definitely yeah it's like it kind of emphasizes the divide to me between empirical and theoretical when i'm think of like historical what I know about historical ecology, ecology a lo- so much of what I know is from the empirical side and like the early, I'm like picturing all the early like experiments. And then because that was like so much of my training. Um, and then the even the history is kind of, the history of like the theoretical developments. Um, yeah, And but I agree that they were like in many cases, like very kind of intertwined with the empirical observations.
0: Yeah, it does seem like we kind of cribbed from other fields, which is not a bad thing, I think, kind of for sure. But I guess, like, like Tess, what do you think is the the real value add, like the real thing that theory centrally adds to, you
1: know, for empiricists? Um, I think one of the things is like uniting. I think what money already mentioned this uniting different experiments and different like empirical observations under like one idea, because we can only do so many, you know, replications in different kind of systems and um, actually like bringing those those observations together to show something general about like how nature works um, is a huge kind of uh, benefit and um, Another huge benefit is, I think, the opportunity to, like, think more clearly about exactly what you're testing and what assumptions you're making that theory brings to empirical research. It forces you to do that in a lot of ways. Um, like, we're always making assumptions when we're doing empirical work, but having it out there mathematically um, and more explicitly, I think, can like push you towards a deeper kind of questioning and like refining of your the way you do experiments. Um yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, I
2: mean that kind of points toward a question that I wanted to ask and that's you know thinking, you know, bigger picture about the field. You know, what do we lose if we get this wrong? You know, this being integrating theory um, and empiricism you know or, or at least if it's not wrong uh that we're not very efficient about it um that maybe we take some you know some false steps before uh finding the right ways to do it
1: well i think we lose the opportunity to like have that full kind of feedback of like the scientific process that it, we talked about at the beginning of the paper like that's kind of the end goal so like theory without empirical testing Where does that get you? Um, Yeah, we briefly mentioned like cases where sometimes it actually is the point of theory to not to not be tested, maybe, which is news to me. Honestly, there's a lot of things in there that were like I learned from the theoreticians in the group. I'm like, what? So you have theory and it's just never (laughs) the purpose is not to be tested. And then, of course, I think people have raised the issue that you can have empirical research that's not like hypothesis driven. that's like natural history observations or even like people have defended like data mining in some contexts it doesn't always need to have this that like classic structure but i think ultimately that loop between like hypothesis testing refining theory like coming back to it is gonna be the most efficient way to do science
2: so you know kind of um if I can, you know, paraphrase that, if we if we don't do this very well, then uh, we stand to let bad theories or bad hypotheses uh, hang around for uh, a long time, and you know, potentially create you know false starts and misunderstandings um, that uh, then become difficult to resolve. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, that and then also on the empirical side, you you stand to have these isolated empirical examples that don't mean as much then like the, as they could if they were kind of put in inside some framework. And then I think yeah, we talk about this a bit in the paper about the kind of especially in like global change ecology, the kind of and like disease, the more pressing nature of like understanding these issues and like trying to get to the most efficient way of solving those problems.
0: So you don't want just data for data's sake, necessarily? I mean, I
1: don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so, okay, so I'm curious then, like what do you think of this kind of big data, um, you know, bulk power yeah. approaches and whatnot? I mean, I've,
1: it's been, I've seen some, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, it was. there's a paper called, a hypothesis is a liability which I was like oh this is a good like counterpoint to to our paper where it's just kind of defending like sometimes you don't know what's going to happen and you can't just lay everything out perfectly before you start you know collecting data and you do get ideas from what actually is going on and what you observe um, and so I'm not going to say it's like never good to do <laughs> um, but I don't know I think there's a Right now, I think there is a huge um, kind of push, and it's easier to get things published. I think when you have and and grants, but when you have these clear hypotheses, and at least you seem like you're doing it in that way. So that's kind of I think where um, what's being favored right now, maybe at the expense of like more natural history kind of observations and stuff. Um, definitely the. Ch- trend seems to be it's like if you don't have a hypothesis uh, and and if you can i I found in my own work in the times when i can most convincingly use like be drawing on theory and especially be combining multiple theories in a new way that's kind of what i've done in several papers that has really like struck a chord to be like okay here's an empirical test um that combines these two ideas that have never been like put together before Um, multiple theories it's like people are really uh, like drawn to that like at least the outward appearance of like a strong kind of uh theory basis of empirical research and i think almost to the detriment of other ways of doing science i would say like that's not what we say in the paper but (laughs) you know we're going for one kind of way and, and like one um like classic mode of doing science but i think it's important not to forget those other ways
0: Oh, I know. I've been criticized heavily for the other ways, so I'm okay with. Really? That. Oh yeah, for sure. I've been called out like, "Are you just data mining?" I'm like, well, you're I mean, not real.
1: Well, you just got to make it look like you're not. Yeah,
0: data mining. exactly. Because <laughs> I always feel like disingenuous about you know. Um, I don't remember what the 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 punny acronym is for, like the hypothesis after. Oh yeah. Yeah, whatever that is called. Um, it always feels disingenuous to me, so I'm just like, I'll oh, write it as a research question, and then right. <laughs> you're too <laughs> honest. Probably. That is a really good point, though. That that is a, if not the preferred, like really, like the way to not write only grants. Yeah. Like when yeah. you're doing grant writing, like that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah, you have to. It's like you have you have to put it in that structure, so. and yeah it's like we're very i don't know if it's good to be that kind of hardcore about that one style of doing science but i've seen so the there's that paper about hypothesis as a liability and then there was the i think it was the asn address um from the president i think it was butch brody last year it was all about non-hypothesis driven science and how like natural history driven science is important so those those kind of ideas are a bit like, like going in the opposite direction of what like how we're saying theory and, and empirical research need to be so like intertwined and
0: so is there like a difference between because you you mentioned like natural history driven science between that and like a Facebook approach where it's like Facebook's just taking all the data that you have or Amazon is and it's like okay well then obviously you or a person who wants to buy a black hoodie and you want to go you know vacation in colorado and you want to drink this type of seltzer water based on like whatever information of your age location zip code and everything like that like that just feels like bulk data which is like
1: look to me natural history observation isn't bulk data it's like careful observation of like a narrow much more narrow okay. system so it's like a deep understanding of often a single system which is something i have never been good at like i've jumped Same. systems like 10 times so it's like foreign to me but a deep understanding of a system and the intricacies of that rather than just like a huge dump of data of about like you know it's it, it's like actual observations of which if yeah i think that's great i just i think it's also hard to do and this was acknowledged too in that in that uh talk mm-hmm. in that address which is it's like it takes a huge amount of pri- privilege and like only a certain like subset of people have the time and money to like spend walking like this is like the old style of doing science walking around for half the day like in the the, like fields you know it's like we just don't have that luxury and depending on like your life situation so yeah Um, no No. i mean it'd be great
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know i i think what those two approaches do have in common though is that they are not really hypothesis driven you know they're more about um you know trying to find you know, try, trying to find patterns, um, and, you know, then post hoc, uh, interpreting them. Um, and and maybe that leads to an ex- experiment, uh, or a more hypothesis driven approach. Um, you know, I, I have opinions on this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really, I really think that, um, you know, there's, there's room in ecology for all of those approaches. And, that, you know, they have different strengths, Um, you know, especially when we're talking about things at, you know, particular scales, whether they're uh, particularly small or particularly large, sometimes it's really hard to design a good manipulative experiment, um, or something like that. And so these types of uh, approaches of sort of filtering observations for meaning um, can be great for trying to find the you know the pattern that like the nugget that um actually does lead to a testable hypothesis
1: Mm -hmm. definitely
0: so was there as far as going to tell you that you know kind of what inspired you to write this paper to kick this off was there any one experiment or any one study that you had that particularly you know led to this that
1: you were just like really um so what happened was rachel the senior author started a lab at ubc here and she started to try to read like hardcore theory papers with her lab and i actually like look at the math which usually our eyes just like glaze over i think there's a line in the paper like did you actually (laughs) read the equations or did you skip past them because like that's generally what we do um, and so, as she did that she she started kind of developing what became the second half of the paper, which is that toolbox uh toolkit for understanding equations and Then we were just at a conference, and we happened to go out for lunch with a bunch of like theoreticians <laughs> that we didn't really know, and we started talking about this and like how you know it's hard for empiricists to understand theory and that lunch group became this paper. Um, wow. that, we sh- that we should actually do something and like write this uh, and then it ex- got expanded a bit um, like added a few more people but um, that was really interesting because it was a bunch of people we hadn't we didn't really know that were doing very different stuff and, and it we needed those theory people on the paper to explain like a bunch of the concepts that were you know but then I think it had to go through a lens of like empiricist eyes to get written Um in a way that would be understood by who we wanted to be our audience. Um, and so I, I, I wrote the first half of the paper and she wrote the like, toolkit for understanding equations. That's was like looking, a was that's it? super helpful thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an that's an awesome origin
2: story for a paper.
1: We have a picture of our this lunch group. After the lunch, we took a picture of ours. We're like, we're writing this paper, and we're gonna take, we're gonna capture this moment. And so we have like a photo. And Rachel wrote a blog post. Um, forget what the website what the blog is but she wrote a blog post about how this happened with the picture and everything because they of course they didn't believe us they're like okay (laughs) sure you're gonna write this paper but um yeah so and then but then to me she and then it turned out that she had this idea that was much more like explaining the actual understanding of the math and my idea was much more broadly how do you use theory to motivate empirical research and and like what is theory like the the more general less about the like actual math so it worked well in the end at first we were like okay well which way is this paper going to go and then we just made a really long paper where it's like does both um and so i i was more i did the first part and then she did the second half long papers are honestly underrated
2: good (laughs) yeah i mean
1: i I think i think it's stronger
2: for having those two things together because yeah I think you kind of need the philosophy to motivate the you know the toolkit and the philosophy without the toolkit um you know kind of leaves you hanging a little bit like okay you get really excited about doing this and then you're like still in the phase of like how do I do it
1: yeah and then you're like damn now I still can't pick up a theory
0: paper and read it (laughs) yeah it's been super helpful to me. I'm still light years away from understanding how matrix algebra works. And um, that's why yeah, me too. I, I have collaborators. So <laughs> yeah, I no, don't that, like that's why you have
2: computers.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to make it do that. I don't even know where to
1: start. Like where in my computer do I do that? Uh, <laughs> that's the matrix what do algebra I type? Yeah, yeah, like some so. of the it was hilarious when we started writing this because it was an exercise in being like not embarrassed about how little you know about certain things. And mm-hmm. we just had to be like, what is, you know, like the most basic stuff. And, and sometimes we realize like, actually the definition of whatever this we're talking about, like a different part, diff- like breaking down what different parts of equation, mm-hmm. uh, isn't actually that straightforward. So we're not total idiots for not like having a clear definition in our minds. Um, but it was like a, we got to, we had to get to a point of confidence to be like okay now we're ready to admit that we really like don't know the most basic stuff about theory and in our phds we never i think we were trying more to you know sound smart and hide it but in our conversations it was like hilarious we have a, a picture of sally Otto trying to explain some like mathematical thing to us on a napkin that's just like going way over our heads yeah, i
0: think there's uh, we should more often be asking questions and admitting that we don't know anything honestly <laughs> so. it's hard when you
1: when it's just you see it's words that you've heard a million times, but you don't really know what people are talking about um, and that's the kind of level we want to like write it at or er, like early grad school basically yeah or or late undergrad basically.
0: I think it's really helpful because it's a, you know, I remember being at that stage for a lot of different things, probably I'm still at the stage for a lot of sections you cover in this paper, but it's, sometimes it's even difficult to know the language to know the question that you need to ask to figure out the thing. Yeah. Like I remember when I started to learn how to code, I think that wasn't something I'd ever done before, and I didn't even know what to Google yeah. to figure it out. It's just, yeah. You know, it's like you, you are learning a, a foreign language, more or less, right? And like theory is kind of that way too, and math is kind yeah. of that way. But yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of a fascinating thing to go there. Um, do you think, you know, you, a lot of the paper is how theory can inform empiricism, right? And um, I mean, you do talk a little bit about how empiricism can feedback to inform theory, but. Do you have any idea of like different strategies or ways to emphasize different activities for empirical approaches that could inform theory?
1: Um, Yeah,
0: I was thinking, when I was thinking
1: about this, I'm like, wow, I could never write that reverse paper. (laughs) Like, I just don't think like a theoretician enough to really know what would be useful. But we did write, so the other side of this paper is what can theoreticians also do to help make their work more accessible to, you know, like, empiricists need to be able to understand theory but theory needs to be written in a way that's like understandable and so we did there's a second paper that came out in bioscience like um, last month led by two grad students um, who it's about how to write accessible theory and so we decided it was too much to put that into this paper it was originally like a box um, like we just touched on it because of course that's acknowledging that other side um, of like bridging that divide um, but they they're more like theoretically minded and so the people leading that you know were able to kind of understand from that perspective and so when you ask like what are exercises that a theoretician could do <laughs> to integrate I'm like I have honestly no idea I'm like I've never even like yeah like what you know Or like, or like, what is it about empirical work that a theoretician wouldn't understand, you know, Uh, some of the some of the links, some of the like analogies we make in the paper uh, theory people have said, oh, this is actually useful to me, too, because, you know, if you say like a simulation is like an experiment, you're manipulating this, you know, like comparisons about like how or like uh, an empiricist is constrained by the system they work in, just the way a like theoretical person is constrained by the mathematical techniques that they're used to. Stuff like that, where they're like, oh yeah, like this allows me to like understand empiricists a bit more. So some of the writing it kind of goes both ways, but it's like very much rooted in our experience as as not understanding theory versus it would be interesting to think about theory people and what they don't understand about. Like empirical research. Um yeah. yeah,
2: so I can I can speak a little bit on that. Um <laughs> I think I think one of the things that is that there that there are misconceptions on like on both sides is um you know there are theoreticians who don't understand how difficult it is to actually collect data. Oh my god, and yes. I, all of the you know all the process that goes into that the you know the careful thought and planning um, and hard work there are also empiricists that uh you know think that you know theoreticians like you know don't do anything but you know write on chalkboards and um you know
1: and, and so that you like can that. just put anything i think there's a line in our, in the paper about like you can't just do anything like there's constraints like you know like oh i'll just make up this theory. done that is
0: my paper you know i do feel like to be fair that you guys also use dry erase markers on like the glass chalkboard (laughs) too like that's also and i think you guys probably wear cooler glasses than empiricists do
1: yeah that's part of why i wanted to write that not the glass thing but uh (laughs) the demystifying what Theory, like theory people actually do is that first part about like how is theory created because from an empiricist perspective you're like what are they what are you doing like what how do you like go from being like I have an idea to like here's a paper that's done you know like when you go to uh, your office every day what are you doing because I know what I'm doing it's like designing experiments and like uh counting things basically <laughs> uh so that was part of de- demystifying but yeah that demystification could be useful on the other side too to be like th- there's just so many constraints on empirical research that don't always seem obvious like we'll just do this it's like no no
0: <laughs> i do remember like early grad school being really you know, probably i guess envious or at least just very frustrated thinking about like okay for me to get to you know a paper sometimes takes like two three years of data collection plus then the analysis and writing the paper and i'm sitting there with you know, other students who are primarily modelers who crank out ten papers in five years, and it's like a paper every semester, and it's just like, it, how satisfying is that? What the hell, man? You know, <laughs> and it's just like, like man, making me look even worse than normal. Like, this isn't cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's right, though. It, it could be helpful for some theoreticians to understand the sheer blood, sweat, and capital that goes into every single data thing that you collect. The, you know, think of, like, the crazy ones, right? Like, geochemistry stuff where you have to get, you know, isotope signatures from stuff at the bottom of, like, the Mariana Trench or something. You go, like, okay, I got nine data points, but that probably costs $10 million in 20 years, right? <laughs> you know? So,
2: it's... Yeah, I mean, so I will say kind of a counterpoint to that is, like, my longest running paper that is still... Not finished is a pure theory paper uh, you know and, and it's partly because like I've picked it up and put it down at different points, depending on um what I have the bandwidth to work on um but you know there's there's this really like serious and and difficult um creative aspect in doing some types of theoretical work um You know, where like we've really like iterated a bunch of times, like, okay, what's the right model for us to use for this phenomenon? And, you know, redeveloped it, reformulated it. um, And, uh, you know, then analyzing it and, you know, simulating, um, you know, special cases of the model to explore. Like, there really is a lot that, um, you know, that goes into it. That you know that can be quite time consuming and it's a different kind of work than you know going out in the field regularly and um you know visiting your you know gas wells and you know taking um you know soil temperature and soil moisture measurements like I helped you do a few times uh yeah. when we were in grad school together um but it's yeah i mean it's still um it's still definitely work it's just it's just different um and some things flow fast um like some experiments flow fast um but others can be really really challenging
0: one could make the argument that i'm just bad at designing experiments too. you need to
1: do shorter experiments
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's really the problem so um so i'm curious is, is, you know thinking about this i remember the the one thing that kind of triggered me off to thinking along this lines and actually not like just wholesale disregarding theory at a much younger stage of my career was reading the ecological detective book and thinking about the idea of scaling and model and you know kind of how math integrates into everything. But I'm curious to get you know both of you guys thoughts and um, if you're restructuring, like you said that Tess you said that this paper you you were writing for that kind of introductory grad school level like if you're thinking of the training of scientists, you know, in particular, like what would you suggest as like a restructuring of that to make it more a better integration in the theory?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it varies so much. Like in talking to people about like about this paper, people's training just varies so much and it partly depends on what they're interested in. So my training was so empirically like it was Almost all field courses where I was doing like hardcore data collection and like writing up full experiments in undergrad. And I had almost no like math or theory training in either grad school or undergrad. And that was partly because that's where I like my interest lay. Um, and there weren't like, there just weren't required courses that were like modeling or. And and I think that would be like a really important (laughs) kind of requirement. beyond just like I think it's more much more emphasis on like statistics than on. um, Like modeling right now, and obviously you need to do like you need to know, like how to do statistics as well, but. um, Yeah, I just wish I had that I even now wish I had that.
2: Yeah, so one of the reasons that I have a kind of trash formal math background is um, also because my training was, you know, much more empirical and, um, doing GIS was kind of like my entry point into more computational stuff. And then that eventually, um, translated to, um, you know, using theoretical simulation models and then, you know, now some more recent papers that, um, with, with colleagues who are uh, better mathematicians than me, um, you know, combine like analytical solutions with um, simulations or with uh, empirical uh, analyses of empirical data. Um, But I think one of the big things is that um, I was very unmotivated to take math courses, because it felt very divorced from reality. And um, so I think that there's, I think that there's room to expand training in, um, you know, in math, in theory, uh, that is really, you know, more geared toward ecology and evolution. Um, And, you know, borrowing examples, using models, um, that are important to our, the history of our field and the development of our field. And, you know, kind of teaching the mathematical techniques alongside the, um, the ecology. I think I think that's an approach that could be really helpful, um, but it needs people that have like that combined set of skills. Like it, it, need, it needs theoreticians. Um, and I think- Who are also field, good at teaching. Right, who yeah. are also good at teaching. <laughs> um which yeah i mean i i I do know uh a a few of those but um it's definitely not always uh always true that they
0: are i was introduced to this concept and i had not heard of it and i thought it was fascinating like in a, a meeting yesterday about distributed Courses like I'm, I'm familiar with co talk courses. These like ideas of distributed courses where there are apparently professors who are partnering up across universities and teaching graduate courses where they will do something like that. Like it's like okay, we have you know like two or three people who work together. Be like oh, there's one who's really good at theory, one who's really good, and and this is pretty. It's particularly done like in like teaching like eddy covariance and uh, you know carbon flux measurements. There's a, a group who's doing this because they have different specialities, and so what they'll do is they'll basically just. Um, Each of them has a section of the class and they've been, you know, managing their class like, you know, remotely when they teach it and the other people call in and they teach that section and they kind of all design the thing. And so the idea is to kind of give like there's a section on like, you know, numerical analysis and sections on uncertainty, you know, quantification and all this. I was like, that's a really fascinating way to do this. Like, you know, I remember having a couple of co-taught classes and I always thought that was really great because you're getting like those two perspectives, right? it's not you know if you have me teach the class it's going to be one really narrow class it's probably gonna have a lot of history and a lot of rambling into it right but then you can bridge that that's probably like another way to do it you know like tessa said, like engineering is you know kind of a part of the whole thing so i don't know something to think about i think because i think there's also like there's i think there's a need for this paper outside of that traditional definition of ecology too. Right. Like, I feel like ecology often is taught as like a, the EEV programs with the eco- ecology and evolutionary biology programs is how a lot of times it's housed in universities. Um, sometimes it's under biology. Sometimes it's under like environmental science and a more physical science bases. And, you know, like I come from that more physical science basis, but not as a person who has a grounding in physics. Like, I think if you enter physical science with a you know strong physics grounding, you're going to come in with that idea of first order principles and you're going to understand um was it hessian matrix i don't even know what that is you're going to come in and understand that right because you're going to have that background and um but like i think there's definitely like an even broader audience for this than maybe like it's even gotten so far and so i hope that you know other people take that and see the value of that yeah i mean most of what's
1: in there can apply like a lot of it is just like science in general (laughs) yeah but because all because all the examples are ecology and evolution and that's like all the authors so we like target it to that audience but it's pretty much it just applies more broadly especially um the stuff about like different ways of using theory and stuff so you
0: guys have said that it's been um yeah, and Rachel made a comment about this too, like when we on the, the show notes, and uh, that the paper's been really well received and very broadly received. Yes. Um, what's been, has there been any kind of interesting thing from that, or just, uh, if you can tell us more?
1: We feel really good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it's been very interesting to have a paper be so broad, widely read <laughs> and people actually tell you that they like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like generally when I publish a paper, it's like, even if it's in a high impact place, I don't get like a ton of like unsolicited feedback about how much people liked it. So that's been very like different and nice. And I think partly because people have been using it in lab meetings and teaching. And so it's gotten a big audience that way, which we thought was it's great because one thing about this paper is that it's hard to picture how it's going to be cited yeah so even when we were writing i were like who's ever going to cite this paper nobody so it's nice to like have other like tangible kind of feedback on the, its impact um because it's not i don't think gonna be like the most highly cited paper um but yeah it's been it's been really nice to like hear from people on Twitter and and other places about just like how they're using it and finding it valuable. And especially when we hear from uh, early career, like grad grad students, who it's targeted for.
0: I think you just gave us a clear idea for a follow-up episode at this at some point about how to judge, um, you know, papers that maybe not be, the citation is not necessarily the biggest impact of them. yeah and it's how do you like
1: present that in like a grant or something you know when you're um trying to argue for the impact of your work it's it's that's been interesting because it's been very different from like other papers where they might be cited but not as widely read probably
2: maybe this is where we actually need alt metrics
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's like yeah it's been read a ton and downloaded you know and tweeted about and all that stuff so um, I mean, we don't really care how much it's cited, so that's good, <laughs> but it's interesting to see, like, that that the feedback is just so, uh, you know, like, a different measure of impact, basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine, but this seems to be a topic of interest, so um, I was involved in writing a paper on Um, communication and mathematical biology which you know focus on a slightly different issue but um, definitely things that that touch on it Um, and there have been a couple recent papers I think in addition to um, yours that have also been um, addressing issues around you know how do we communicate math and how do we communicate theory better in um, ecology and evolution And, and so I think it's a question that Um, a lot of people are, are wrestling with then might become sort of like an interesting little, you know, micro uh, area of our field.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, who's going to cite it is people writing a paper that's like along the same, because that's who we cited when like, you know, there have been previous, a bunch of previous papers that touched on different aspects of this. And of course, that's who we're citing in our work. And so, uh, but that's a very small field. (laughs) Uh, like a small group of papers. Oh, no, yeah. there's
0: there's more on these though. Like I, you know, I, I, I read a paper last year that was like reviewing the you know the existing you know universe of stuff within the R language specifically for like you know, you know forestry research. And there was another paper similar that was done for like landscape ecology, and another one you know looking at um, tools for whatever. these are not papers that are going to get cited, but you know I think similar to 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 your paper, like the downloads are through the roof. they're like top one percentile for the journals and it's crazy so it's like okay well you know sure it's going to have like one my paper will have like one or two citations but i was like i can point to this you may be like okay well it does have this impact that people are hopefully using it yeah so um yeah but so are there any plans for uh, a follow-up on this
1: Uh, Well, we did that one that actually came, it ended up coming out at the same time because of the way, just like how quickly the second one was written, but about using um, ideas from cognitive load theory to help uh, theoreticians write more accessible theory. Um, I have not read that one, actually. Yeah, so that's, um, it just came out in Bioscience. Um, And I can send it to you guys, but it's... um, I can tell you the title if I pull it up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, actually, title. you should, if you could share that
0: blog post with us too, we would love it. Oh yeah, the blog that,
1: post, yeah. I mean, we'll uh, put that on that the landing good.
0: page for the episode. But.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, It's called, yeah, here we go, just what I said, Writing Accessible Theory in Ecology and Evolution, Insights from Cognitive Load Theory. Um, And it's OU et al., OU, is O-U. the first author's last name. Um, and that just came out, yeah, in Bioscience. Um, i can send that to you and the blog post that rachel wrote
0: great so so random question why american naturalist
1: well we submitted it to ecology letters and it got rejected <laughs> uh and it was like favorably reviewed so i was like okay i'm gonna i want to send those reviews to amnat or like to wherever we send it next because they're actually like positive and they're just like the fit it, it was it's kind of a hard paper to be like where does this fit right because it's not tradition, like traditional format um, and so you know Amnat, I think has a history of like caring about the community, <laughs> and so we thought we'd have like a better um like chance of convincing them that this would be like a service to the community and like I said, the editor was the scene like the editor in chief at t- at the time was like originally kind of skeptical about how novel it was or how important it was, but then through the reviews and through um, sending it to his own students. Um, it was like, he was convinced. <laughs> is Dan still the yeah, editor at M- I think he just, is just switching over, okay. I think. But um, he actually tweeted later, like, uh, that the, was one of his favorite papers of the year, <laughs> like, in retrospect. Oh. So that was nice to hear. Um, so, yeah. So I think, yeah, Amnet is... I think in my experience like a history or like they usually have very intense and thorough review process and they also seem to care more like they do like initiatives like double blind and stuff kind of early on and so we thought this was kind of like a paper for the scientific community that they that a journal that cares about citations a lot would not necessarily be drawn to so yeah and also, Amnet has a like history of having a lot of theory and empirical research, Like very much like spans that divide. Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess, Tess, do you have any take-home message or anything else you want to say? Don't sell?
1: be afraid to write a paper that will never get said. <laughs> <laughs> Just let the positive tweets wash over you <laughs> and be happy with that. I like
2: it. Also, I like it. Well, well thank you, uh, Tess, for joining us. And it's been a fun conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. We hope that you listeners out there enjoyed it and uh, keep listening. You can find us anywhere podcasts exist, basically.
0: And um, I don't think I actually did this at the beginning of the show, or maybe I did, but um, the paper we're talking about is an empiricist guide to using ecological theory, which was published January 2022 in the American Naturalist. Is Granger et al. We're going to put it on the show landing page and also tweet it out and definitely encourage everyone to take a look. Is this open access or is there a place that we can link to like a straight PDF to it? Yeah, so
1: that was actually one of the tweets about it was, I want to use this in my course, but I can't. Um, It's not open access, but, and then Amnet actually weighed in on that tweet because I said, it's on my website. Like, can I just put that up? So you can put the the actual, like, fully formatted version. And they were like, you can do that. That's legal. (laughs) So go ahead and you can link to the, like, open copy on my website.
0: That's all we'll do. All right. Well, thank you again.
1: Thanks for having me. All right. Hey Where should I go?